regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins, and over there is our co-host. What's going on, Dr. K? Oh, not too much. Doing great up here. Good. Uh, Well, back to another episode. This is 174, episode 174 of The Online Course Show. And as usual, we've we've got an interview coming up. Uh, for everybody. But but for now, let's just catch up a little bit. Uh, What is going on in your world? Well, the main thing I've been enjoying just watching Val enjoy your piano course. Uh, She's absolutely loved it. Uh, There was a day the other day that she just told me like how much it meant to her that she's been able to play piano. Quite frankly, she got kind of emotional just saying like this, this empowered me so much. So Mm -hmm. huge testimonial to you. uh, Gratitude that, that you were her teacher. And uh, she did convince a friend to join within the first couple of weeks. So I was kind of impressed with that. That's awesome. And I got I got an email from her a few days ago saying that she had finished and she didn't, you know, when people when people send me a, an email like that, I really like to see like a video so I can see how, how they're doing, how they did. Like if and that really tells me, you know, how much time they spent on it um, and, and how much they were into it. And, and she didn't I, I know that she's kind of camera shy, so I, I'm not saying that she's got to do that. But that was the only thing missing. But I did get that email from her saying she was finished. Yeah. Well, we actually just did a road trip down to Arkansas, um, biking, hiking, canoeing. And we actually listened to your last lesson together as we were driving. And so then she sent you an email on the road. Um, I don't know if you're going to get a video of her playing (laughs) piano right away. I asked her about it and she got a little coy. So probably so. How about just audio? Maybe we can convince her to just do audio. There we go. Cool. (laughs) What'd you, what'd you think of lesson 21 in the course? I thought it was great. Um, yeah, just, just very empowering. And the tools that you talked about, I could see how they provide a ton of value for your course members. The one other takeaway about your course, and this is something that I, I don't know that you would have gotten direct feedback about that, but I was reflecting that the keyboard that you recommend mm-hmm. is only $200. Mm-hmm. And if you asked me, like, how much do you think a good quality keyboard that would be adequate for you to take this course and start to enjoy piano? If you if you asked me, how much do you think that would cost? I would have said $500. And then I asked Val the same thing. I said, before you got that recommendation from Jacques, how much did you think you'd have to spend to get a good keyboard? And she was like, ah, I don't know, probably about $500. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting. Your keyboard recommendation functionally it made us feel like you saved us $300, which then builds this goodwill where we would, where an average person would be like, yeah, I'm more likely to spend this course because he just hooked me up with $300 in savings. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's really, uh, really interesting. And I appreciate that feedback. Uh, the, the $200 keyboard is the one that I use even to this day to, you know, I, I used it to film my entire course and everything. Um, but I did a review on it uh, on YouTube and I'm looking it up right now. And that review has over 200,000 uh, views on YouTube. The title is Best Beginner Keyboard Elisis Recital Keyboard Review. And so maybe I, I, should, I should, should look at the analytics, but maybe I'm getting a lot of course sales coming from that video because of what you're saying. Because they're like, oh, wow, I can get a, a good keyboard for only $200. Maybe this is somebody I should continue to trust. 
Right. It just builds a lot of goodwill because it, it felt like it saved us quite a bit of money. So that's interesting that you listened to Lesson 21 because um, I believe that in the new version of my course, Lesson 21 is probably the the longest lesson now. And I had a few of my like top students kind of audit the course. I, I did a lot of different things to try to make this version of the course the best possible. And um, I may have told you this story before, but it, it's relevant here talking about the last lesson. But one of one of my all time best students, he was going through the he was auditing the course for me. And one of his pieces of feedback was on the last lesson. He's like, Jacques, man, I loved your course. You know, I, I did it in, you know, he did it in like 30 days or so. He was he was very committed. He's retired. He spent a lot of time on it. And after he finished 20 of the lessons, 20 of the days, he was, he, he, he put off the last lesson. Cause he's like, well, I could do it on Friday afternoon, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to give it the time that it needs. I'm going to schedule it for a few hours on Saturday. I'm going to, you know, I think he had like a bottle of champagne ready to pop when he was finished or something like that. And he goes and he, and he goes through lesson 21 and it was like, you know, less than 10 minutes and it was just like a little recap and um and there was no action items and there was it was pretty unclear of where to go next it was it was not a good lesson right and he was like man it's just i love the course but to- the last lesson was such a letdown mm-hmm. so that that really um that really uh resonated with me and and i hated to hear that so i went i may i may have even taken it a little too far uh with the new lesson 21 but i i have all kinds of action items and all kinds of new paths people can go down to continue their journey after lesson 21. definitely that's the emotion that val came into that lesson with was like i did it i completed it she was excited to watch it and, and share it with me cool all right well well one other update for you uh on the new on the new course the new platform is I was browsing around the Buddy Boss Facebook group recently. And uh, for those not aware, Buddy Boss and LearnDash are kind of the, the platform that I'm on now inside of WordPress where, where my course lives. And it's going really well overall. But I was browsing the, the Buddy Boss Facebook group and a guy by the name of Paul Bright uh, made a post about his guitar course that he's got in Buddy Boss. And he put some screenshots and... I was like, wow, this looks amazing. This looks so good. And this is a guitar course. I was like, I wonder if, why why doesn't my piano course platform look this good? So as I dug a little bit deeper, uh, it turns out Paul does not, you know, he doesn't make much money actually from the guitar course. It's kind of a little hobby thing for him. And what he does is he runs a a digital marketing agency. Hmm. And I was like, holy smokes. And his, um, I went to his website and the very top says we build gamified membership sites and mobile apps that are guaranteed to increase engagement and member retention. And as you scroll down, uh, you see a lot of case studies and that's all he uses is buddy boss and learn dash. And all of the, all of his designs are just beautiful and, and, all kinds of cool features. He had this feature and, and um, I was able to sign up for a free account on his guitar site. And he had this feature where you could log practice sessions and see how many days in a row you practice. And he had this really cool path feature where you could really see where you are on the journey, which lesson you are. Just all kinds of cool improvements to the Buddy Boss Learn Dash experience. So I reached out to him and I've been working with him and his team ever since. And I'm just so thrilled with the designs and the functionality that they've been able to implement on top of kind of the canned uh, buddy boss. And I just, I really wish I would have found him sooner, like back in 
back in what October, November, when I first started going down this path, I would have saved so much time and money oh, if man. I would have used him from the the beginning. But it's awesome. Shout out to Paul Bright, and uh, I want to want to mention his website in case anybody's using this solution and 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 is limited a little bit by the design and functionality. These guys can definitely help you. It's PB for Paul Bright, pbdigital.com.au. So he's down in Australia. So I've never actually had a had a live meeting with Paul. We do a lot of looms back and forth because we're usually uh, I'm usually sleeping when he's awake and vice versa. So uh, just wanted to shout out Paul and they've been doing some awesome work for the new platform. Nice. Yeah, I'll have to log in there and look around a little bit more. Yeah, check How- it out. I think you've got a I think you've got an account and at the very least your wife does. But yeah, we just we just implemented all everything last week. And then how is porting over people going? Well, it's a, it's actually officially starting like tomorrow. Um so we've got about 300 people in there and it's it's going well, all pretty much new people for the, for the most part. And uh, the migration is happening throughout the rest of this week. Um and so I'm going to do do over the next 3 to 4 days I'm going to do a portion of them each day. I'm going to start probably the first day. I want to do like a hundred in case there's any major issues and then uh, I'll ramp it up from there. So by, by the time we talk next on the podcast, I should have everybody into the new platform. Awesome. All right. So got I got to ask a question uh, for the listeners. You've got two giant Amazon boxes in the background. So, so I feel like this could be a segment of the late show, like asking random people, like, do you remember what you ordered from Amazon? So what are, what's your retail therapy back there, Jacques? Dude, I don't know. You, my desk, my office, you can see is a little bit of a mess right now because we're, we're doing some things, uh, some kind of renovations to our house. And so my office is uncharacteristically messy. I, I don't even know what's in those two boxes. You oh, see. No. I can tell you, like, if you look right behind me, you see this thing that says posted on it right here. Yes. Those are two massive pads of paper. Um, that are the Post-it brand. That's that's the probably the last thing I unboxed from Amazon. And I've got this nice big desk. That's I'm, I'm not at the big desk right now, but you see it behind me. And I just love putting those huge pieces of paper on the desk and either just like mind mapping things, taking notes, or even if even if I'm on a call with somebody um, or, or even if I'm showing something to say my piano students and need to like kind of map it out, I can turn on my overhead camera. So that's that's what that is. Awesome. Have you, has that actually made it into one of your courses? That technique, the whiteboard, so to speak technique. I've done it on some YouTube videos on the online course guy channel for sure. That, 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 that technique applies more to this side of, of, of things for me, the online course guy, the online course show, because usually when I'm teaching piano, like I'm demonstrating on the piano, whereas with like online business stuff, it does help to like kind of draw things out or show things, but I'm uniquely set up for that because I've already got the overhead camera, right? I've already, I already need that for the keyboard. So I'm just kind of doubling down on that overhead camera, push my keyboard out of the way. Now I've got this huge piece of paper that I can just record. So maybe, maybe the next version of, of my online course guy course or program, you might see a lot of that. Nice. Well, that is a great way to teach. I know that there's a YouTube channel called Whiteboard Finance, where this guy, all of his lessons, it's just him standing in front of a whiteboard. And it's, uh, I don't know, it just really shows his intelligence and his authority on the subject when he's writing things live. And so I think that it, it can be a great way to teach things. I agree. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move forward toward the conversation of the day. So I spoke with the guys at e-commerce uncensored. 
uh, Kevin and Jason from ecommerceuncensored.com. And they also have a, a podcast with the same name. Um, we, we had a great conversation. Very, very interesting. The, the way I got connected with them is they actually reached out to me originally to, to come on their podcast. And, and I did. Um, and it was a great conversation. And when I was on their podcast, I found out that their main experiences, uh, experience with like courses and membership is they, they teamed up with one of their podcast listeners on, on a course that, that the listener already had well, it was, is really a membership, um, on wildlife photography. And that listener hadn't really been able to take it very far. He wasn't really good at the marketing piece. So they teamed up together. And these guys, even though they don't know anything about wildlife photography, they were able to turn that into a seven-figure business very, very quickly. So that that's the main thing I wanted to have them on to talk about is, is wow, you can actually have a very successful business in the course or membership space without actually being like the expert, the main teacher. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's really cool. And that, that's, that's kind of one of the main things we talked about here. So that's my setup, uh, without further ado, here is the full conversation between myself and Kevin and Jason. Jason, Kevin, welcome to the online course show. Thank you so much for having us, Jacques. It's great to see you again, man. What's up, Jacques? Thanks for having us, man. Sure, you too, guys. Looking forward to uh, just having having a conversation about, about courses and business and so on. But I definitely want to start. Let's just jump right into it. Let's talk about the Journal of Wildlife Photography. Is that is that like what you guys are just like most passionate about in this world, or what? Well, after after a year and a half, the way it's been, yeah, it's kind of been a little bit of a shift in you know, especially my mindset uh, after being in in an agency world for so long, working for clients and you know trading trading hours for money, basically. Um, and when, you know, Jason and I first got together at the agency, we were always trying to kind of find that angle to like get to that point. And, you know, about a year and a half ago, we had a listener, we have a podcast as well. A listener of our podcast reached out to us, a really um, well-known wildlife photographer reached out and he's like, I want to work with you guys from our agency side, basically. Um, and he really didn't have a whole lot of money and wasn't have a whole lot of success. And, we basically saw his content and saw what he was doing and saw like there was some holes in what he was doing wait, and how wait, we can we, improve we, things. We saw his stuff. Yeah, we saw, I saw his I liked his stuff, too. OK, okay. I, that mm-hmm. was one of my main things. It's just like I'm Jacques. I don't know if you got this from when you interviewed us or we interviewed you on our podcast is like I'm less of the risk taker than Jason is. So I got it. I like, I got to, it. I like to fully think things out before I jump totally into them. Right. I looked at his stuff and it was horrible. Like his website was terrible. I mean, I didn't even know how people bought in the first place. Quite frankly, it was so difficult to get to a checkout. And I said to Kevin, I remember, <laughs> I remember saying this. I'm like, dude, if he can make like a dollar with this website, like we can <laughs> blow this thing up. Um, and Kevin, of course, was like, you know, he was reluctant. He didn't really want to. He didn't wasn't sure because our, our agency at this time was like blowing up. And it was like our like we went from like we doubled our revenue. Um, at this time. And it was like one of those things where it's like, do we really want to get into something new? Um, but yeah, man, the rest is history. We uh, <laughs> we said yes. I mean, Kevin, I had a he was like caught like 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 I was like pulling him to do this and he finally agreed. Um, well, he, well, he uh, <laughs> it, the, the way the agency was like, as he says, it kind of gave us it was good to see the agency go up and we're like, OK, we need to focus on this agency that's really like blowing up in a sense, but it also gave us the opportunity to say, Hey, you know what? This guy's got some great content. 
let's take a risk and see where it goes. It was kind of like that window opened up in that like little time period for us to just say to him, like, let's do a partnership. And he was like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Was there anything that he was doing right? His, he is, you know, probably one of the best photographers out there. Like there's no joke. He's been, he worked for like, um, national geographic. He worked with BBC wild or BBC. He had his own like wildlife photography TV show. Um, I mean, right now, currently we have like famous wildlife photographers as our subscribers. It's pretty crazy. So he is, he is known as like one of the best guys out there. So, So from that standpoint, the content standpoint, he was doing that really, really well. He just didn't know kind of where to go from there. You know, um, he had his Facebook ads. They were working for a little while. Like I said, he was doing 500 bucks a month and then they kind of just died. And like, once that happened, he didn't know what to do. And he had this, he had this YouTube channel that he really had these well-produced videos where, I mean, literally you could go on his YouTube channel and it would look like you were watching national geographic the way he, you know, set up these angles and produced these, these videos and then we would show it to our to our team which was up towards about eight people at the time and it like blew everybody away everyone was like i want to do this so we were like this is it this is the content that we need you know and i also you know he gave us access to his facebook ads what he was running and i saw in some instances he was capturing emails for like 60 cents and that's like basically unheard of in our world so that's that's what kind of put me over the edge i was like if we can get emails and we knew what we were doing with emails we can blow this thing up so he was already he was already getting the sixty cent leads. That's not something that that you jumped in were able to do, but that's that's one of the metrics that you looked at that excited you about this opportunity. Yeah, not, exactly. Yeah, and not and not just the sixty cent leads. It was like he wasn't. There was like no link in the ad. It was like it was like sixty cents. And he did like everything wrong, you know. And it was like join join my newsletter. That was the <laughs> Facebook ad. We're like okay, right. So yeah, I mean, there was definitely you know a lot of things that we we knew we could improve on but it, you know it was a risk i mean i don't know if we even told you this Jacques, but you know when we went to partner with him he he said to us like what do you need to come on to be a partner and obviously kevin and i talked about it and i'm like kev like there's a lot of work here man like we need 50 percent um and so we went back to him and we're like look we need 50 percent of your business to do this with you but here we're gonna sweeten this up for you we are going to we are going to fund all the ads, the Facebook ads. So we spent a hundred thousand dollars of our own money, uh, like funding the Facebook ads, and that kind of put him over the top. He's like, okay, if you guys you guys are really into this, fifty fifty percent is cool. It's amazing. Um, so the so his content was really good. He's 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 very talented in his particular niche. He's apparently like a well known, well respected type person, and that's that's probably one of the reasons that really crappy ads were converting so well. Is like. People seeing him maybe knew who he was already. And even though things were not set up well, um, <laughs> but, but it sounds like they were pretty pretty poorly set up when you when you started touching it. Um, people were were opting in, converting in some cases, actually buying probably on the the power of just his name. Is that fair to say? Yeah. So like we have this, you know, the, like Kevin and I work with a lot of different brands, you know, multi-million dollar brands. We, you know, cosmetic companies doing 40, 50 million and big giant budgets. I mean, we're spending $90,000 a month on our, our own Facebook ads. Um, and, you know, there, the, the one difference, I mean, anybody out there who, who, you know, who's, who's creating a course, you know, in our mind, there's one thing that's really important and everything else doesn't matter so much is, is your offer. 
Um, if you can get your offer down right, if you can get your messaging and your offer, I would say, because messaging is important too. You get your messaging and your offer right. The rest of it could be really bad and you'll do okay. Um, and then from there, you're just optimizing, right? Like, okay, you got the offer, you got the messaging down. Now you can do all, do all those other things to optimize. And and that's sort of how I look at it is like, he had a really good offer. I mean, he had a really good like journal. It was like the best. So, so when you say offer, you're talking about when I, when I pull out my wallet and exchange money, like what is it that I'm getting in return for the money that I pay you? Right. What, what, yeah. What problem you're solving? Is it, is it, the, is it the problem that is, you know, at the, you know, forefront of your customers' minds? Um, you know, we have this one client that we could show, like, we have this data, like if you like stack the offer. So if you're like, okay, for $300, you're going to get this for free, this for free, this for free, this for free, this for free. It brings that perceived value so high that the $300 is like worth that. Like they don't even think about it. So if you can create an offer like that, where, you know, there is so much perceived value you know, the, the selling price of it really becomes irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree. And, and the, the term, I'm familiar with that terminology, right? The stack, right? I, I first learned about that from Russell Brunson reading, reading his books, the ClickFunnels guy. And, and I certainly have one of those in my, you know, in my sales videos, in my webinar, where it's like, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get this. It's this value. This It's this value. This is this value for a total value of, you know, several thousand dollars. But you're special. You get it for this price. You know, you get it for four ninety seven. So that's that's the offer. Did you guys change his offer in any way, or was the offer like the best part, and you just had to build everything around it? Well, I think originally when he was when he had his offer laid out, he had like several different options. Like he, it was almost a little bit complicated. We saw like he had three different tiers, and you know the first tier was fifty bucks, and you got this, but not that. And then there was a middle tier, and you got this, but not. And we were like, let's simplify this. Let's make you know a monthly or no a yearly and a lifetime. And then we just laid out, like Jason said, we just stacked all that value. And it wasn't something that came like right away. Like it wasn't like an overnight thing. We definitely tried several different things. And one of the big things that we started doing was running these um, these giveaways for our subscribers, which was a bit of a challenge in its own because we didn't realize there was so many uh, legalities to it when you run giveaways like this. And we, we are actually getting calls from like um, the Montana Gaming Commission. <laughs> Everyone's because we just said we're like, we're going to give away prizes to our subscribers, which meant in the end that they had to actually purchase something to enter these giveaways. Yeah. That was a big part of the strategy, right? Like wildlife photographers spend a lot of money on equipment. So what he was doing at one point was giving away a trip to Yellowstone national park. Right. So what he was doing was, you know, he would pick a subscriber and he would take them to Yellowstone for free. Right. Cause that's like the big thing in wildlife photography. He was doing and, workshops on the workshops on the side too. That was like another side of his business. So that was just part of it. Right. That was just part of it. So he would take them to a workshop for free, you know, a value of 6,500 bucks. And that thing, you know, like he would get like all kinds of people doing it. So we just kept going like bigger and bigger. We would do like a Yellowstone trip. Then we did like a $13,000 like lens. And then we did a twenty thousand. We gave away a twenty thousand um, dollar like like equipment bundle, um, and you know that was like a big learning experience for us because, like Kevin said, we were getting all kinds of trouble because you really can't 
have a raffle and you can't really force people to buy a ticket for a giveaway. So that was like a big learning experience. But what it taught us was like, it's, it's all about the offer, right? Cause when we were giving away like a $5,000 camera that didn't do as well as a $20,000 ultimate, you know, equipment package. And it really taught us. I mean, we knew this, but I don't, I don't think we really knew it. I, I like it was just so, it just made it so clear to us. It's like the more we gave away, the more people responded. Um, so like I was, if anybody out there can, you know, give away things in exchange, you know, for, I don't want to say memberships because it's illegal to do that. If you do it legally, it's a really big boost, man. I mean, it, it works. And the trick to it is giving away something that is just out of reach of most people. Budgets. Sorry. Most people's budgets. Sure. No, I, I got it. And I'm, I want to dig into this a little bit because um, I'm, I'm, I'm confused about the legality piece here. And every Christmas, like I'm always like, okay, this is the year I'm going to do some like piano keyboard giveaway. I think that was very congruent with my, with my brand. And I just never really get get around to it. It's, it's kind of intimidating to be honest with you to execute on it, but I'm confused on why that would be illegal. And maybe I'm just not, mis- uh, not understanding something, but I see people doing giveaways all the time, especially during the holiday season. Yeah, so you're not allowed to require someone to buy a raffle into a giveaway. Okay. If you did, like, um, let's see who can create the best music on your piano, and then you take that and give, like, a winner something, that's okay. It's just you can't sell a raffle into the giveaway. So the way around it is really just at the bottom putting, you know, no, no, no purchase necessary. And then having like in the rules, like a place where people can sign up for the giveaway for free. Um, I could tell you from our experience, like we have 10,000 subscribers in one year we got. Uh, most people don't don't do the freeway. So the, the ways I've seen it done really are, you know, basically you need to enter your email address to be entered into the drawing, right? No exchange of money. Or I've seen a, a lot of YouTubers, you know, just say, hey, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment below. That's how you enter for this, this giveaway. That's legal. That's legal. Yeah. You just can't take money. And, and is that something you were doing? Why would, why would you want to take money? We want people subs- to subscribe to the. It was basically a su- subscriber-only giveaway. It, w- it wasn't like you enter a raffle. It's like all of our subscribers are going to be put into a raffle, and we're going to select one subscriber out of there, and they're going to win this package. But Which by is- us wording it a certain way, it makes it seem like you have to subscribe in order to enter to win. So it's like that's why I like all these you know McDonald's when they run their stuff. It always has to say even though you bought the cup with the with the Monopoly piece on it. It says no purchase necessary on it. Yeah, like you can mail you can mail in your entry. You don't have to buy the Big Mac, but yeah. So like you can't exchange money. And and the 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 reason that we did this was because initially we wanted to make it subscriber only. We just we wanted to incentivize our subscribers. Like, look, you guys subscribe. We want to give something back. Um, but yeah, it's illegal to say subscribe and then you can be entered. So basically it was, it was an item in your stack. Like here's one of the benefits. Here's one of the things you get when you sign up for this membership inside the walls of the membership, you'll be entered to win one of these giveaways. And that was the problem. Exactly. exactly That is exactly the problem. You cannot say 
we are giving away a trip to Yellowstone to one of our subscribers. Like you but, can't say that. But as Jason was saying, you can run a contest when there's a skill involved. So, for instance, for us, we want to run a you know uh, photographer of the year contest. For that, we can charge an entry fee because there is a skill involved. So, like you, if you were doing a piano or however you would work it, if they had to pr- produce something of a skill, they can you can do it that way as well, and they can win a, a monetary prize. It it can't be left to chance is basically what it comes down to. If right. they've already paid you money, basically. But, but, you know, if I just ran a keyboard giveaway on my YouTube channel and it's just for anybody in the world that leaves a comment, no problems from, in your opinion. No, right. no problem. No, 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 exactly. it's definitely no. We, we hired lawyers for all this stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, I, we don't, we don't talk a lot of like legal stuff on this podcast, but hey, disclaimer, everybody listening, like yeah. none of us are lawyers that I'm aware of. <laughs> no, 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 we're <laughs> no. definitely not lawyers. If anybody's listening to this and they're wondering about their particular situation, consult a, a, an attorney. This is just three guys just, just talking here. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's different from state to state, which is really important because it's, it's the legality of it is different from state to state. The problem is when you're doing it online, you're selling to every state. So you're going to have to follow all the laws. Well, I mean, this, the audience of my, my piano audience is global and the audience of this podcast is global too. So not only, not only do we have to worry about state to state, but the entire, the entire globe. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, there was even different, different rules on like how your, how your business was formed. Like we even talked to our accountant and lawyer about changing and being a nonprofit organization. That was even in the conversation at one point. And it was just like this, this whole thing. Yeah. So it is a little tricky. So anyone, you got to look into the legal aspects of this before you jump into it. I have one other example, and I'm, I may have done this legally. And, and if so, we might have to cut that, this part of the podcast out. <laughs> but okay, let me give you one more example, because this is, this is kind of fascinating for me, and this hasn't really come up. But when the first lockdown scheme, you know, March last year, um, my business did really well. You know, I, I know it was, it's, it's still a tough time for a lot of people, and a lot of businesses didn't do it really well. But but as it turns out, teaching piano online was a great business to be in um, when everybody's staying at home. And so not only did I got a, get a lot of new students coming in, um, but I got a lot of um, my older students very much reinvigorated, like coming back to the course and so on. So business was going really well. I started adding, trying to add more value to people. That's when I started doing my weekly live Q&As with my students. And I haven't stopped doing it since. But another thing that I did at the time, like after after like two months of just like record numbers in my business, like I wanted to, to celebrate. And so what I did was I got three bottles of Dom Perignon and I had my logo engraved on them. In fact, you, it, the, the podcast is not video, but you can kind of see one of the bottles right here on my mm-hmm. camera. And uh, it, it's, it's pretty cool. And so I kept one and I gave two of them away to, to my students. And I just, you know, posted in the Facebook group, hey, you know, just want to celebrate with you guys, you know, more, more, more people than ever are learning piano with this program and so on. And so basically comment below if you're, if you want to kind of enter the drawing and I'll draw randomly two of your names and, and ship one of these bottles out to you. But that was only for my paying members. That's inside the paywall. It sounds like ah, that wasn't really something I should have done. I, so I was the one who, who was getting all these calls from the state <laughs> and I was trying to work through this and I don't want to give you bad legal advice, but you did not give that away in exchange for a subscription. You just uh, gave it I away. Didn't, I didn't list it in the stack. Like that wasn't part of the deal as entering. Okay. Yes. That wasn't part of the deal as entering. You were just giving it away to people in 
your subscription. It's, it just comes down to they don't want you competing with their lotteries, really, because that's what it is. I mean, they don't want it to be a lottery. They don't want you to be able to sell, sell raffles. They're like our exemptions, like churches. Churches are allowed to do it. They're allowed to sell raffles. We're not. <laughs> Got it. And wasn't okay. there a difference, Jason? Wasn't there a difference between a raffle and a sweepstakes too? Yeah, there was <laughs> raffle and a sweepstakes. There was a whole big thing on that as well. I would just suggest if you're thinking about doing it, which if you can, I my personal opinion, if you can work this into your marketing, it works fabulously. Um, but yes, like read up on what's a sweepstakes, read up what's a raffle. And what's the legality, legality behind it? Because you will get calls from the state. <laughs> We're getting calls all the time. But they worked with us. They were really nice. They went over the page and they told us, you can't say this. You can say this. You can't say this. And they were really nice about it because they knew we weren't trying to screw people over. We were, we were just using it to market our business. Got it. Once again, not legal advice, but an interesting <laughs> conversation here. All right. So let's let's jump back. You you get in contact with this guy, you can negotiate, you say, okay, we want 50%, you have 50%. There's all you, you probably want to update the website, you want to tweak the offer, you want to work on the Facebook ads, you want to work at the funnel. Like there's so many things you probably want to work on. Where where did you start? Yeah, I mean, uh, the first thing we started was we just built a website. And the the idea behind this was. We were going to do the marketing. We were going to do the website. He was going to do the content. And that's really the, what it came down to. And initially, you know, when we first started, Kevin was kind of running the agency and I was kind of running this little side business. Um, and that's kind of how we worked it out because, you know, Kevin's like, you know, Kevin and I are just a little bit different. I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, uh, I, I, I've ADD. I bounce around. <laughs> I like, you know, Kevin's a little bit more focused than I am. So he was the man to run the agency. Um, but yeah, I started just start. I built a brand new website, brand new, you know, WooCommerce website. And then we created landing pages and we, we just started sending as much traffic to it as we could. Yeah. I mean, I definitely had to get out of my comfort zone a little bit because I know that we wanted to like, we wanted to make it as, especially at the beginning, make it as simple as we possibly could. We didn't want to invest too much time into it. We wanted to just put an offer out there and see how it works. So in my mind, like everything has to be perfect. Like we have to create this beautiful website. We have to create this, everything in the back end flow has to be done, this and that, and everything has to be buttoned up. But from Jason's point of view, it's a, it was probably a good thing that I was tied up in the agency side while he was kind of running you know, the journal at the time, because I would have, I tend to stick my head in every once in a while and check on things. And <laughs> some of those, they, they, they gives me anxiety when things aren't perfect. You know what I mean? And there's, and I, I've learned a lot over the last year and a half where things don't have to be. It's like get out there and if people like it, they like it and they'll take your offer. So it's been a little bit of a, you know, out of my comfort zone kind of thing. All right. So you, you go, you go do all this, you build the new site, WordPress, WooCommerce, um, you get the offer dialed in. So ramping up the Facebook ads is probably one of the last things because you don't want to be wasting money. You want to kind of optimize everything on the inside. But you guys spent quite a bit of money on Facebook ads, right? So how did that go? What was kind of the ROI? Um, and I mean, this you're still spending money on Facebook ads and, and making sales on this to this to this day? Yeah, to this day, we're doing it. Um, we've slowed down a little bit because just like our business is a little bit of a season, has a little bit of a seasonality to it. And COVID and iOS 14 mm. are definitely affecting the effect like like Facebook. We're seeing it like uh, we have friends that are doing like, you know, six million a month on Facebook. And they're telling us that like their their stuff is really being affected right now. 
but we we just I think last month we spent forty thousand. We cut it down a little bit in January, but the way that it worked was, and this is kind of how we always do it with everything, is like we set some ads up, and if we're seeing a return that we like, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, ten x return, we start scaling, and we start scaling to a point where it hurts, and we start scaling to a point where there's no more ROI. So. A lot of beginners believe that these big guys, and I'll, I'll consider us a big guy, right? Spending forty to ninety thousand a month on Facebook, and that's really not even a big guy. But um, you know, people like to pretend that they're getting ten x returns when they're spending five thousand a day, like we are, and it's not. That's not the case, and that was a big learning experience for us, right? Because we've never really been there with our own money. Um, so, you know. If you're spending 5K a day and you can get like a 1.2x return, that's big money, right? Like, that's like what, 7,000, right? You get, right? Is that what, something like that? Yeah. So 7,000 a day, you know, uh, times 30, you know, it adds up where most people believe, especially newcomers or newbies to Facebook, that when they spend $1,000 a day, they're going to still see that 5x return. That's not the way it is. Like, if you spend 10K and get can get a 1.2, 1.1, 1.5X return, you're doing really well. And that was a big, big learning. It was a it was like a mind, you know, it was like a shift in our thinking that we had to had to like just uh adjust to. Are, are you saying that the more you spend, the lower the the ROI goes? Always. Yeah. So like you spend a hundred dollars a day, you can get like a five X return and like you know, you're excited. Some of our clients we work with get 10x returns when they're spending that kind of money. As you start ramping up that, you know, Facebook has to find new audiences. They have to send it to people who may not be as excited about what what you're sending. You know, your, your lookalike audiences aren't as defined as they would be when you're staying really tight. So if you can get like right now, if Kevin and I can get a 1.1x return on our 5k, we're like jumping up for joy. A lot of times we don't even get that one X return. Um, you got to get it on the back end. But, you know, the point is, is like that was like that was like, I think, the turning point for us, because as we, we look at we look at ads right now that we were running last year that we turned off and they were getting like five X returns. And like we thought we were doing bad. <laughs> like, why did we turn this off? Like, this makes no sense, you know? Today, if we can get a one X return, we're really happy. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a math problem too. Like even though your ROAS does come down as you scale up, the actual profit and money in your pocket increases. You know because you're spending twice as much, maybe getting you know a twenty five percent less return. But that money, the way the numbers work out, you actually have more money in your pocket. In sure. Your yeah. If I spend right. if I spend a thousand dollars on ads and I can get a five X return, and and so I make um, five thousand dollars in revenue—that's four thousand dollars in profit. If I instead spend a hundred thousand dollars in ads and get a, a one point one uh, return, then I'm going to get a hundred and ten thousand in revenue, which is ten thousand profit. Ten thousand profit is bigger than four thousand dollars profit, even though my ROI or ROAS um, w- was lower. That's basically what you're getting at, right? That, yeah, Jack, I didn't. I didn't want to go into the specific numbers because I knew I was going to screw it up. I, 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 it was in my head. I just didn't want to say it because I knew I was going to mess it up. I so nice thank, thank you, thank you for doing that. Yeah, nice round numbers <laughs> though. Um, but here's what I don't understand. 
is, and I've never understood this, where do you draw the line? We, 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 look, we, we looked at like several different numbers, right? Cause we have our growing email list. We're growing emails, you know, daily, we're getting 300, 500, 600 emails a day. So even though we were sometimes on, on our email list collection campaigns, we were getting maybe a 0.7 return even so lower new. And we, it's tough when you don't have any history, it's hard to say. So it took us a while. We had to have those like giveaways and things that were really bumping us up to actually see the funnel start working for our emails. So we knew that even though we were getting, we were losing money on the front end with our emails that in the long run, we were making a five X return on our email. So it was like a, it was less of a granular looking at thing. It was more of a holistic approach. Like this is how much more money we're putting in and this is how much we're getting back. And it's hard to do that at the beginning, but you know, after a few months, we were able to kind of see those numbers start to add up. Yeah, but there is there is a line. And the line is if your cost of acquisition is higher than your average order value. So if it costs me $200 to make $100, we can't do that all day, right? I got to be able to spend 100 and get back 101 or 105 or 110. So usually the way that Kevin and I work now is it's less about what we're spending and it's more about the ratio uh, between the cost of acquisition and the, and the cart value of, you know, the average order value of the customer. We also, we also have a recurring model too, from, for a lot of our subscribers, I think 50, 50% of our subscribers, I, I'm not sure the numbers, Jason, but 70, are, 30, 30%, 30, right? Okay. No, I mean, how many people are annual members? Right. Sorry, half. 50% of them are half. 50% of annual. them are annual members. So we got to consider that too. Like if, And we don't know that yet necessarily how long an annual member is going to say because we've only been in this for a year and a half now. So we're assuming on average, someone's going to la- stick around for three years. So that gives our, our, our annual membership is $97. So jock, whatever that math is, <laughs> almost $300, yeah. you know, that our lifetime value of that customer is going to be 300 bucks. So if we spend $150 to acquire the customer, we're, we're in the positive basically in the end, it's just, it's hard to envision that sometimes not making that money on the front end. Yeah. And, and one piece to the equation too, that, that just every business and everybody's going to be different on is what does it take to execute and to fulfill an order too, right? So I don't personally, I don't want a 1.1 return because inside, you know, once somebody's inside the course, the biggest thing that we have to worry about is like customer support. You know, that takes time and money to provide support to these people. I give people lifetime access. Mine's not like a yearly subscription. And so I need, I need to, to have higher returns than that to, to really justify it because of what it takes to execute. Even things like, you know, half the people that buy my $497 version, I will physically mail them out something which costs me about $40. Right, so you, you you scrape that off the top, then I need you know significantly more than a, than a one or one point one return. Yeah, but you know where it gets really fun though, Jacques. Quite frankly, is if you have what Russell calls that value ladder. Yeah. So if you have a five thousand dollar offer, you could spend that one x all day, man, because you know once they get in, now we're gonna start selling them other stuff. And I think you know we're working on that. That's a big problem for us. I mean. Truthfully, if we had more of a value ladder than our subscription, we can, you know, I would, I wouldn't even be worried about what the return is because I knew once they came in, they were going to be worth more money to me. But right now, we only have a lifetime subscription for two ninety seven, and then we have a annual for ninety seven. Yeah, I think 
That's a good point, Jason. Cause like you mentioned Russell, like he's selling his quote unquote free books, right? Like expert secrets, traffic secrets, you know, it's free plus shipping. So it costs them $8 or whatever to, to send it out. Um, and then there's upsells or whatever. He always talks about with that initial, um, you know, cart, he just wants to break even with his ads. And then he's basically gotten a, a lead completely for free. Right. That's, and that's I think exactly. that's because he can walk them up the value ladder, ladder maybe next month. They're, they're on the $97 um, uh, ClickFunnels plan. Maybe a few months later, they're on the $297 plan. They now have like $2,500 plans. They have that really high-end you know, coaching. So yeah, that's that's a great point. And I, I could probably be doing a little better with my value out the ladder. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's the key, man. I mean, you know, a one X return doesn't sound real sexy until you, you have a $5,000 offer once they come in, you know? Um, and you know, you're, and you know, one thing, and this is like, we, we haven't talked in numbers and we're completely open to it, but we went from zero to just about $2 million in our business in one year. We estimate that we probably could double that if we had something to sell our current customers. Sure. But we don't. I'm working on that, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're he's definitely it's it's the, one of the the parts of the business is out of our control, right? Creating the content. So we've had to kind of be a little bit creative, Jason and I, coming up with different ways. And we're actually, you know, packaging things. It just happened recently that we're selling our annual customers just the lifetime subscription because basically we do have two products. So we were able to. When did we do that? Was that Christmas time or something we did? Jason came up with the idea, like, let's just send an email to all of our annual subscribers, get them to upgrade to lifetime, and we'll get that little boost in revenue. And that was that was a really good good thing as well. So it's we've had to be a little bit creative, and but we've definitely seen without a doubt that our customers will buy. So as soon as we get out, what's up, Jason? No, go ahead. Finish your thought. I want to just mention something. Go ahead. No, no. Uh, we definitely know that our customers are buyers and they, they trust us. We have a, a great community of people that just you know love this photographer, Jared, that we have. And uh, we're just trying to work towards that next next phase of things. Yeah, we did. And this is a perfect example, man. Like we, I sent this email to our current customer base and we did $42,000 in one day just to our customer base. No ads, just sending out an email. Just sending out an email and saying, hey guys, I'll give you whatever the percentage off was to upgrade to a lifetime subscription um, and, or lifetime membership. And we did like $42,000. And that was our biggest day to date. Wow. So the first year in business, around two million in revenue. About how much did you spend on ads over that period? About a mil. Yeah, again a two x overall. Two x. Yeah. Okay. So that's not bad. I mean, it's not bad for year one. You know, three dudes. We don't really. We just hired some somebody. I mean, so <laughs> you know, we're taking that mill and we just kind of split it. You know what I mean? And then you know, so yeah. And speaking yeah. of your customer service, then like that becomes a bear. You're right. I mean, it yeah. is. Jason was handling all of it for a while, and it was just like now that we're getting all this renewals from last year, it's like a, it's like a zoo. So we finally had to hire someone, bring someone on. You know, we have a. You know, we also have a designer uh, that works with us. Uh, but it's growing. We're growing our team a little bit. Because, you know, our obviously money in our pocket is going down a little bit, but it's worth it because we need to build a team around this. You know, million dollar multi-million dollar company maybe maybe i need to have uh jared on the show separately to get his perspective on this whole thing but uh i mean what what does he think about this whole thing you must be flying high about it huh so um i actually misspoke we he takes 50 percent of the profits and we take the other 50 so he's taken home like 
I believe one month, like almost $70,000 in a month. Yeah. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, he's like hanging out in the woods right now, like (laughs) chasing after animals and Kevin and I are the ones stressing out over the business, you know, but yeah, I mean, he tells us how much he loves us every every day. I mean, yeah, um, he's, he's doing quite well. I mean, you know, the truth is, is that Kevin and I also have the agency, right? And the agency is our, you know, is how we get up the numbers that he's doing. We wouldn't be as excited if we weren't, we didn't have this other side that we made the same amount of money on, right? So we make the same amount of money on both, on both agencies, which really brings us to where we need to be to put the time into this journal um, that we do for sure. So if anybody listening has a, has a course or a membership where they um, they're struggling a little bit, they can reach out to you and you'll, you'll give 50% away. Uh, you'll take 50% of the company and, and run it and make it a super successful for them. Right. If there's anybody in the, in, in listening right this second, I will tell you, I will prom- I say it on our podcast all the time. If you have a product that people want and you have a really, really, if you're really good at what you do, you just can't figure out how to sell it. Contact us. I will, we, we will partner with you. We are looking for businesses to partner with because we could do the marketing end of this thing. The rest definitely. of the, con- the content, we stink. Yeah, it's definitely something we've talked about. I mean, especially when we're trying to grow the agency, we're like, and then we had this come in and take over everything. We're like, wait, there's got to be more people like Jared out there. Let's change everything. And yeah. this is kind of how Jason and I roll. We're like, we're going over here. We're going over there. Let's try this. Let's try that. And, um, you know, that was kind of a thought, like, let's start marketing ourselves as wanting to partner with people like Jared, because we've tried it before the content side of things. And we're just, we're oh, bad horrible. at being consistent. I mean, we have a podcast that we do that we don't give enough attention right. to even, right. even that's our best thing that we do. Um, but, you know, it's very difficult for us to create that content. And yeah, but, Jared yeah. was that whole. That's one of the takeaways I was hoping uh, that I, that I think the audience will have is you know, not only could they reach out to you guys and the agency and all that, but but looking for opportunities like that because I I've, I feel very blessed in that I was able to handle the content um, of of teaching piano even though that's not necessarily what I'm best at, but I'm also I was also able to handle the marketing like I've, I've been able to handle both pieces. But there's so many people out there like Jared who are passionate about some random niche. But like, just they're not good at the marketing and sales side and, and the lead gen and traffic generation and ads and all that. And they need some, they need somebody else. And that's one of the reasons I do this podcast is to help you know, those types of people with the, the marketing strategies, the business strategies and so on. But sometimes it takes, you know, an actual other human being or other human beings to just like partner with to make it work like in this case. Well, first of all, no, they cannot contact us for the agency. We do not want any clients. <laughs> that is not why you contact us. If you want partners, we are there. We are not. We don't want any more agency people. But um, Jacques, I think, you know, when you were on our podcast, you talked about how long you've been in business, how long it took you to get to that seven year mark, um, seven figure mark with your business and how fast we did it. Right. That is the power of partnering up with other people is that you you can go light speed uh because you have you have you're working on the content we're working on the marketing we're constantly thinking about it we're constantly investing into the business and you have three two three four people whatever it is um working on the business at all times you just you could just be in a lot of different places at the at the same time and you know you didn't have that luxury right like you had to hire people or train them or to kind of figure it out on your own. 
and that's the difference, right? We went from zero to 2 million in literally uh, 12 or less months. Um, and you've been doing it for years and years, right? And I mean, that's just public information. You had it on our podcast. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think that's the difference. Yeah, it wasn't until my eighth year in, in business and in, in doing piano in 21 days till I just barely scraped the seven figure mark in a year. And it's, I mean, most of that time was just like learning, figuring this whole thing out. I mean, years into it, like actually even having a funnel involved and, 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 and really dying, dialing in the offer. Whereas you guys, when you started working with Jared, like you already knew what you were doing and, and you saw the potential here. And then you could just really hit the ground running. When I started my business in 2013, I had no idea what I was doing. Not at all. You want us to partner? You want to partner with us? No, I'm good now. I'm good now. Oh, like, okay. okay. I, yeah. <laughs> you I might mean, want to take that business to 10 million. I mean, say, saying that we went, we took, uh, took a company from, uh, took this business from zero to almost 2 million in a year is really doesn't tell the whole story at all. I mean, it, it's kind of like what you hear in the guru stories when you look on Facebook, how they made millions and millions of dollars by putting this up on Facebook. You know, I've been doing this not necessarily totally marketing, but I've been doing agency work and working with clients, different businesses for, for 17 years, 18 years or however long it's been. Jason's been doing the same thing on his own and with uh, companies. So it really isn't uh, as like, oh my God, these guys just hit it. It's like, we worked at it. We failed a lot. We created our own course in the first time Jason and I met, we tried to create a course and it would completely flop, spent a ton of money. But it was a huge learning experience. And that's what everything that led up to this point has been. So, yeah, it's definitely not an overnight thing. It's definitely not a 12 month thing. But those 17, 18 years of failing and trying things allowed us to to accelerate the right thing. Right. That makes sense. It does. Why aren't you taking on agency clients? Uh, there's not enough money in it and it's just a lot of work. Yeah. It's a, it's a definitely a lot of work and then there's so a lot of different, are you phasing it out? No, not so. We have a good stable of clients right now. We have about seven or eight retainer clients right now. And it's funny because we had one client that recently came to us that heard, a, was a podcast listener of ours. He called us up and he's like, I want to work with you guys on this business that I have. And it was a B2B type, uh, thermal scanning business. Uh, anyway, but, um, couple months later he called us he's like okay I, I wanted you to work with us with that but like i have this my brother he teaches guitar like let's partner up and do this together and i also got this other person who does this let's partner so it was like it was funny how that all worked out he really just wanted to uh partner to work with us <laughs> yeah because he heard us talking about the journal on our podcast so he wanted to partner with us on those things so i mean i enjoy the agent, uh, the client relationships to a certain extent we have, like I said, we have some good ones right now. It's just, those are like needles and haystacks. A lot of times I've been through a lot of really, really terrible clients, but you know, if we yeah. were able to find somebody that we, we made a connection with, I think that we would probably, we might take them on depending might. on what it was, depending on the, what the project was. Our biggest client right now pays us like 13, $14,000 a month. Um, you know, we can do that in two days on the journal, yeah, right? That's the, so, yeah. Yeah. so that's the rub, really. It's like you could do that in two days with the journal and you don't have to answer to anybody, you know? Um, so, you know, that, that's, that's, I think that's like the hardest part about it. Like me, I, um, I've been in the agency side, like, like Kevin has been for a long time I, in different capacities. And I just want to sit in my office, stare at my computer and I don't want to be bothered. It's just kind of what I want to do, you know? <laughs> All right. So given, given all this, given all, you know, 
how long you guys have been doing this, how successful you've been, especially with, with this uh, journal of wildlife photography, how the heck did your own course flop? Um, well, we did not pay attention to one of the number one, uh, I think the, the number one rule to selling a course, and that is making sure your audience has money. You know, we sold to an audience that was broke. I, and uh, <laughs> I think it was a little bit like we just said, it was like the content was on us at that point too. We yeah. didn't, Jason, it, it was a food blog course where we were going to teach people how to create a food blog. Jason's background a few, uh, several years ago was he was doing marketing for his own food blog, was making a good amount of money. So when we first met, he was like, let's create this course on tell people how to create their own food blog that can generate a revenue. We thought it was a no brainer. And, you know, we were getting a lot of leads, but we, we couldn't consistently create the content. We weren't chefs. We didn't know how to cook anything. Um, and we didn't have our own, we didn't have our own food blog. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, but at the end of the day though, if like people aren't willing to give you their money for what you're selling, it's like, it doesn't really matter how good you are at what you do. Right. Like people have to be willing and will there's, there's, there's a, there's like not only willing, but they have to be able right? They have to be willing and able. And that was the part we left out. Um, no offense to like stay at home moms raising kids. That was the audience and they didn't really have the time to put into it and they didn't really have the money to pay us. Um, you know, I had a baking blog, like Kevin said, it was doing like 20,000 a month, a baking blog. And like we were selling eBooks. Um, so I had a lot of success in these sort of businesses, but you know, I think the number one rule, and this is, this is why, you know, these gurus can get so big so quickly is because they're sent selling like $10 coaching, $10,000 coaching programs, right? To business owners who have money, right? We're like trying to sell to people who like don't have any money. I think that was like our biggest, our biggest problem. It wasn't like we didn't know what we were doing. Like I said, like I had a $20,000 baking blog <laughs> selling eBooks. Yeah, and getting people to actually do it. I don't twenty thousand a month. Actually, I don't. I don't know if you have the problem, Jacques, doing your piano, like actually having people do what you're teaching them. But like for us, it was like the concept of someone making money on a food blog was really good to them, and they loved it, and they'll sign up for emails all day. But when you ask them for money to actually have to go do something, that's where the kind of yeah. snag happened because they weren't into it at that point. Yeah, yeah. This is. I mean, this is an interesting conversation, and and I, I do want to push back a little bit and hope. You know, Jason, I hope you don't get offended by that at all. But, you know, you said you said, you know, your audience is is mothers, uh, stay at home mothers with, with kids or whatever. You know, I, one person I had on the podcast fairly recently, uh, Abby Ashley, that's her target demographic. She teaches um, people to become virtual assistants, work from home. And almost everybody that signs up for a course is a stay at home mom uh, with kids and, and they can work kind of their own schedule and, and all that. Well, she did two million dollars in revenue last year. And, and that was with, I don't think she runs any ads. <laughs> um, so I think there's probably more to it than just, hey, they don't have money. And and I'm not saying that you're wrong by any means, because you know this story way better than I do. But also with my ex- my example of piano too, like I'm not teaching people to make money. I'm just teaching them to play piano. And it's $500 product. It's probably the most expensive piano course. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, my audience doesn't have a lot of money from, from my experience too. So I think there's probably more to the story than that. Um, there is. There's definitely more to the story. And I think part of it is what, what Kevin is saying. They have someone invest money in something that they're not going to make the money back for six, eight, you know, maybe even 12 months. That's a whole nother problem. But yeah. 
Um, you know, yeah, I didn't mean to sound. I, I specifically didn't didn't mention who the audience was because I didn't want to want to sound <laughs> badly. Um, but you know, this is not like a concept that I came up with. You know, Russell talks about it a lot too. He's like, you gotta have an audience that's willing and able. I yeah. found, quite honestly, I found that that particular audience is is um, they're very very conscious of what they're what they put their money to you know stay at home moms generally have one incomes in the family stay at home dads too it's just not moms it's both sides i i you know it's stay at home right so like there's generally one income sometimes really good sometimes not so good um i think that's part of it also like a blog takes eight months you know 12 months and you have to work you know you really have to work so there were a number of factors but you know I still stand by what I said. Like you can't, you, you can't sell a $10,000 course to a guy who has $2,000 in the bank. You're not going to be able to do that. Right. They have to be willing and able. So it's not just, they have to be willing to do it. They have to have the funds to do it. So I think we were also just having a little bit of a, a, a trouble connecting with our audience. Right. We didn't bake two, (laughs) two guys going after stay at home moms, two guys that don't bake or don't cook or don't do anything trying to connect with these, which we actually made some personal connection with some of the, some of the women. And it's just like, there was a missing link. We even like, I had my wife, I was like, Michelle, you should start your own food blog. So we could use it to prove that we can do it. Uh, Cause we didn't have like, you're a good piano player. So you're able to prove the fact that you can teach it to somebody else. We didn't have a food blog that was successful, but we're trying to teach people how to build a successful food blog. Well, I had mine. It just wasn't, yeah, it, just yeah, wasn't, it wasn't around. active anymore. But but also, Jacques, one one thing, and again, I don't want to like put this on like stay at home moms. I want to say like everybody, right? Stay at home parents. Yeah. Um, right? Because I know guys who stay stay at home too. But generally speaking, and I know this, like my my wife is a stay at home mom, right? For her to invest four hundred and ninety seven dollars into a course, she's probably gonna have like have to talk to me about that. And it's not because like like I'm forcing her to. It's just that it's a big purchase, you know. And um, so it's it just it. I felt like that was a little bit of, a, of the problem as well. It's like you're just not gonna get someone to give you you know give you four hundred ninety seven dollars when they're not really. It's not really like a business type purchase right it's a big investment so and that's how much it was it was 497 it's for it was 497 yeah yeah and Um, and you you would probably want to talk to your wife before making a purchase like that as well i mean i I would i would too absolutely Uh, yeah no no no, i definitely i definitely would (laughs) 100 percent. right i actually made i made a post in my community recently um based i don't know if you know this but i actually have a co-host to this podcast who doesn't join me for the interviews but we kind of do an intro and then the interview and then the outro. And he joins me for the, for the uh, front side and the backside. And he, uh, per his recommendation, very recently, I posted to my Facebook group for my students, like, Hey, if you, if you were to commit a relationship with, um, with shared finances, did you have to, like, did you talk to your spouse before making the purchase of piano in 21 days? And was there any convincing needing to be involved? And he recommended I do that just to kind of see what kind of responses were there. And if I should use any of that in my marketing, like send an email, Hey, are you, you know, is there another decision maker? Like here's, here's some of the um, things that you could keep in mind when having that conversation. Yeah. Um, I think that's really smart. 
and I, th- I think surveying your audience, first of all, is always is always yeah. smart just to know who you're dealing with and what they like and what they don't like. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think having that 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 like, is there a second decision maker? I think it's a really important part because we we feel like that everybody just makes the decision on their own. But you're right. I mean, I wouldn't buy something for five hundred bucks without first talking to my wife, and I I make the money. You know what I mean? So, um, hundred percent. Yeah, speaking of the Facebook group, Jacques, I, we we kind of do. That's been like a really great thing for us too, because we do the same kinds of things when it comes to making decisions with our Facebook group too. It's like we don't necessarily. We just had this conversation in our podcast yesterday with someone else. It's like we don't really make the decisions too much anymore. We let our audience make the decision. Like we we post in our Facebook group, we get a ton of interaction in there, and it's been a, a really huge thing. So I, I would definitely say to people out there that Facebook group is a really a really great tool to use and to start as well. Yeah. I, I, you know, I fought it for a long time because I didn't want to have another place for Mm -hmm. me to like have to moderate more work to create. So for the first several years, um, in fact, the Facebook group is probably only about two years old, uh, two years old, but until I created that, there was nowhere for my students to interact with each other. And that's exactly, you know, that's, that's the main thing they're doing there is they're interacting with each other. Mm -hmm. And my assistant, kind of moderates it but like i don't i don't i do hardly anything in there unless i feel the need to like make that post the other day and um and people are excited when i jump in there but it's it's not necessarily something that is necessary and it hasn't really created any additional work and i wish i would have started it much sooner so in september we started ours um september of last year uh it's january february right uh early february we have like eleven thousand people in there since September. Um, and the first thing we do, right? Like we just sent out an email to our email list, like, Hey, join our Facebook group. Right. And we instantly add 5,000 people, um, or more, maybe it was 8,000. I don't know. But the point, the point is, is that, um, we sent out an email asking people for video testimonials and in 95% of them, they all mentioned that how much they love the community of the Facebook group. That's how important it is, especially during COVID. Like they use words like I'm feeling isolated. I love having the community. Um, They use things like it's nice to bounce my photography off other people that are in the same position that I'm in. Right. Like these are like big, big, you know, points that you got to like use in your marketing because, you know, they're saying that and they're saying over like we never, ever. We will never um, change. Like if someone says, oh, I wish, you know, your website has to be blue or, oh, I think you should do this or, oh, I think you should do that. We'll never listen to that. What we will listen to is when we see 10 people saying the same thing, like, Mm -hmm. okay, now we'll listen. I don't want you to tell me what you want me to do. I want to hear a consistent theme of feedback from people in the group. And to be clear, this is, this is your group is people that have already paid into the program you don't have a free facebook group that you're trying to use for lead gen no we actually we actually have a it's it's actually free it's actually open to the public and the reason why was the exact reason you stated our partner did not want to monitor it um so we left it opened so that he wouldn't have to monitor it right like okay now it's public you know we don't have to monitor it we can just let and the funny thing is when you start getting like the 5,000, 4,000, 3,000, 8,000, the group kind of just runs on its own, you know, 
Like we do nothing in there, but ask questions. It was a sales tool too. We used it as a lead generation at the beginning. You know, we probably could start our own like members only group and maybe even add it to the stack of things that you get, which would probably add a little bit more value. But, you know, it's just been like a really nice community and we've started even not started. We've been, we run photo contests out of it. Like we have free contests for everybody enter. You have to be a subscriber to win. But anybody can enter in the Facebook group. So it's it's it really has a life of its own, which is is really cool. Yeah. So just to be clear, mine's mine's different in that it's only for my paying members and I do not have like a free one as well. I really don't want to do that um, <laughs> for, for a lot of reasons. But the 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 one for my existing members, that's the one where now, you know, paying members of Piano in 21 Days for the first time can interact with each other. So let's jump back to uh, something we, I think, Jason, you briefly mentioned earlier that I would love to touch on before we get out of here. Um, you mentioned some of these iOS, I think, 14 updates. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a uh, Apple guy, but I've, I have gotten wind of some significant changes they've made to their operating system in the new version that affect, is it specifically Facebook advertising? Could you, could you explain that to me and the audience, what the changes are and, and why it's important? Kev, you were on with Facebook. Why don't you just try to try to? It's, it's very so. Before he does, Facebook several times on the call said, "I don't really even know how this is going to affect <laughs> things, but it's going to affect them." I I heard that a few times, and I don't think it's completely rolled out yet. They're trying to. I mean, if you've been in Facebook ads, you see that they're constantly notifying everybody. So it's a it's a little tricky. I mean, you're it, it basically is what you're going to have is you're going to not be able to track the same events off of Facebook that you were previously. So for instance, purchase events that you can then send back to like you you have a sale on WooCommerce or Shopify. That purchase is then Facebook knows about that purchase and can uh, you know, give it to the proper give the credit to the proper campaign. Mm-hmm. Um you're not going to be able to do that as much on OS iOS 14 and see that data transition. So what they're recommending is to do more of a um, focus your retargeting and things like that, because the add to carts and initiated checkout things aren't going to be as uh, visible to fit on the Facebook side when someone's on an iOS 14 device. Now they also have to opt out, right? So there's going to be a choice. Like you can let Facebook continue to track your activity if you want, or you can opt out. So there's also that uh, kind of twist to it too. So there are going to be people, people who are on iOS 14 that are still opted into that kind of tracking. So you will be able to see their activity. So I'm sorry if I'm getting confusing, but yeah. So, so basically just to clarify, clarify, Kev, okay. Facebook is going to lose the ability to track off of their platform. Okay. Not the ability completely. They're going to lose some, uh, data that tells them about buyers off of Facebook, right? So, um, you know, demographics and like some of the things that they really like dive deep into, they are not going to be able to bring that over to Facebook. So what they're saying is like, look, you could still track those things. You could still see when there's a sale, but you may not know that it's a 40 year old female Mm. from Florida, right? So you can still track that there's a sale. So what they're saying is try to do as much as you can on Facebook. So for example, instead of building audiences of people that go to landing pages, they want you to uh, build audiences of people who interact with your content on Facebook, right? So there's going to be a big push to content on Facebook, right? Because 
Facebook can do whatever they want when you're on their platform, but they can't do whatever they want when you're on another platform, right? So the idea is that they're just going to lose some of that data that allows them to create profiles of people who buy from you. Right. So you'll see the Facebook will see that click from, from your Facebook ad and they'll see the, that they went to your website or whatever they did. It's just the pairing up of that activity with a specific person or an individual within their audiences is not, is going to go away. So if I, if I have identified completely hypothetically that my target audience is like women, you know, age 40 to 50 in this certain country who are fans of Elton John, right? I'm just not going to be able to get that granular in say my targeting anymore. Right. And this is just for iOS though. So the majority of people are not on iOS 14. So we think that Facebook's making a much bigger deal out of this than it is. And it's, it's because they don't want anybody else doing it. Right. Like they want it to kind of stop or be retracted with Apple. Um, But, you know, I, I mean, I, honestly, like my my opinion is like if you don't have an offer again that people want, all the data that they give you in the world doesn't really change that. You know, I mean, you could run Facebook, you could spend a thousand dollars today on Facebook and get zero clicks or get zero orders. It has nothing to do with the data. <laughs> it's just like yeah. you're just not doing a good job with the ads, right? Yeah, we've always we've always made a strong point not to let anybody else control our businesses. So whether it's Google Ads, whether it's Facebook Ads, whether it's SEO, those kinds of things, we try to as much as we can to have control over our sales, and that's kind of why it, we've you know worked a lot on our email list because that's something that we own. That's something that you know, Clavio can't take away from us unless they decide to shut us down for some weird reason, which wouldn't happen. Well, we can but, take our list and go anywhere we yeah, want with it. Exactly. So it's an asset of ours. And I think that's really important too. You can't rely on just obviously with the changes that are constantly going on. I mean, even like over the election time, it's like we were dead with at Facebook ads, the way the costs went up. But the mm-hmm. fact that we had an email list that we could rely on got us through those times. Yeah. Well said. Um, Hopefully, last thing on this topic, I just really want to make sure I understand. So hypothetically, I've got three, let's just say three ads. And um, if somebody clicks on an ad, goes through the funnel, makes a purchase, then Facebook and iOS or whatever can still attribute that purchase to that ad and not the other two ads. It's just that it's harder to like set up different ad groups and campaigns because like targeting, like we can't get as granular with the targeting. Am I understanding all that correctly? Yeah. And keep and creating like lookalike audiences off of age demographics. And, you know, those kind of things are going to be a little bit more difficult because they're not going to have as many data points. Um, So, I mean, having a customer list is going to be really, really important because you can upload that to Facebook and then you can create audiences out of that. Um, you know, doing things on Facebook. I mean, you can create, there's a lot of different ways to target, right? Like you can create like ads that say, you know, men between the ages of 40 and 50, listen up, uh, you know, here's a new cure for X, Y, and Z that, uh, that will, that will target men between 40 and 55 years old. Right. So like you can do the targeting in the ad itself. You don't necessarily need Facebook's data. Um, but that being said, you know, it's going to make it trickier to create audiences off of Facebook on Facebook. No problem. If you like 
football or hockey or baseball, and you also like music and you also like whatever, Facebook can create audiences from that stuff with no problem. Got it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. So look, we're, uh, we're coming to a close here. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you guys joining me here. So to wrap things up, I'm, I'll give you each the floor one more time and uh, tell us about the podcast a little bit. Um, I guess don't really tell us much about it, the agency because you're not looking for more clients. <laughs> but um, if anybody does want to kind of follow your stuff more, get in touch with you guys where they would do that. And, and if there's any, you know, parting words, like last thoughts for an audience of like course graders, aspiring course graders, if there's anything else you'd like to share. So, um, Kevin, why don't you start off? The floor is yours. Yeah. Our, our, okay. Our podcast is e-commerce uncensored and it was basically built off our agency and it's just us really chatting about our experiences and what we've gone through really over the last 18 years. Um, and, you know, you can check us out at ecommerceuncensored.com. I would say that the biggest thing for me is if you're going to build a business, like I said, make it so you're not relying on any other platform, but your own. So collect emails, build a community and, and it'll come back around. Cool. Jason. Yeah. I mean, for me, um, you know, I think validating your product and your offer is huge. Um, I would even say validate it and sell it before you even create it. Um, I think that you can learn a lot by selling something, um, you know, before you create it. And, you know, for me, like if, if you, if you have a product that, you know, people need and you know, people want, and it's not selling, like figure that offer out, you know, figure, figure out how you can make it worth whatever you're asking, um, for the program. I mean, you know, Jacques, when you were on our podcast, you said, look, I'm selling a $497 piano course. That's way, way higher than anybody else. Um, but, you know, through a series of emails like that you have, you, you have an offer stack that people eventually see the value in that, that price point. And, and, you know, I don't need to say this, but it probably took you a very, very long time to figure out what that offer needs to be for people to give you their money at that price point. Yeah. Lots to of me, Lots of testing. To me, if it's not working, it's your offer your, and your messaging, period, in my opinion. <laughs> so awesome. Good stuff today, guys. Lots of value. Really appreciate it. See you later. Thank awesome. you so much, Chuck. All right. That's a wrap on that conversation. Welcome back, Dr. K. Thank you. Journal of Wildlife Photography.com. That is that is the site uh, that they they teamed up with the, uh, the, the that world class photography photographer on. Um, so, what do you think? What are your takeaways here? It was a fascinating discussion. Just the idea that that two experts in marketing team up with the creator, and just everybody gets to focus on what they're best at, and just it's created this really amazing winning situation for them. Obviously, it's been a very successful year. Appreciated hearing it. If you're going to if you're going to make a pitch like that, like this photographer did, you've got to, you've got to have some assets, right? You can't, you can't just pitch somebody. You can't just pitch a marketer and with an idea. It's, it's not going to work as, as well. So for example, multiple times people have come to me like Jacques, piano in 21 days. Awesome. Like, guess what? I play guitar. Like maybe we could team up. It's like, okay, how many millions of people play guitar? Like that's not unique. But if you already had some guitar instruction site and course that looked impressive, you had some unique selling point, then I would be far more likely to, to consider that 
But if it's just, hey, I've, I've got this a little bit of knowledge in my head, you want to team up? No, no. And that's the way it worked for these guys is, is the photographer already had the site, already had a membership, already had some assets. They were clearly impressed by what he had done so far, um, which, which really is what opened the door for this opportunity. Yeah. So thinking about who would team up with them and have great success, maybe somebody that already has that large YouTube channel, but mm-hmm. they just haven't haven't really gotten the membership side of things going and they could just explode something like that. Yep. So the discussion of the exceptional offers and the kind of raffle giveaways was pretty fun. And uh, just it has to be done right. Uh, shortly after listening to this discussion, I saw a similar offer from James Wedmore who's mm-hmm. kind of a marketing and mindset guru, has his own podcast. The ad that showed up in my Facebook feed, it said, uh, it, it basically started, it said, have dinner with me. And it offered people a chance to win a three-night stay at one of his Airbnbs in Sedona. You got to have dinner with him. And then there were two runner-up prizes where you got his Mind Your Money course and a care package of his top books. And so do you see yourself doing some kind of a giveaway and have you thought about what would be best? Not, not especially, but that's really interesting. Yeah. I was, I was obviously confused for a little bit on exactly what the, the legal issues were, but it sounds like, it sounds like James Wedmore is doing it the the proper way. Like these guys recommended. Right. I think essentially it's like you get entered in the contest just by joining his list, his email list, which I think based on listening to your discussion, like that's, that's all right. And then you just have to know that a certain percentage of people that join your list are going to actually buy your course. Yeah. It's interesting. I I haven't, I haven't really put any plans into place or had a lot of significant ideas since having this conversation. There's so many things we could be doing and that, that sounds like one of them, but, but I don't have anything in the works yet. Gotcha. Well, I came up with a little offer for you. So yeah, (laughs) you're surprised. You're, Yours, uh, it would say, I want to have lunch with you and teach you piano. And so the thing that they would get is uh, like a three-day trip to New Orleans, their stay in the Airbnb. Um, you'd come down and have lunch with them. And uh, then when they get home, they'd receive uh, digital piano and access to your course. And I think that's something that a lot of people would be like, whoa, that sounds great especially as people are getting excited to travel more in the coming months. Yeah, so you're suggesting that as a... as a not for my paying members, right? That's that's something for my email list. Correct. Because you don't have a membership, you have a course. And right. so if it was going to work, I think it would have to work just as, is this compelling enough to get a lot of signups for my, into my funnel? Cool. Sound fun? I think it could be. Yeah, it, it really, that's thinking outside of the box for sure. And I think that a lot of people would enjoy winning something like that. You know, uh, New Orleans is a fun city. Two tickets, right? Them and a, a spouse or something like that could come down, have a have a three-day weekend. And um, I don't know that that lunch with me would be the highlight, probably uh, lots lots more interesting things in New Orleans. But it's, um, especially in a digital world, it's it's definitely thinking outside the box. Sure. Well, and ideally those ads, number one, they get people to sign up. But the other thing is they're just like, well, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. You know, and just start to work their way into into knowing you and, and mm-hmm. getting into your world. Yeah. Who is this guy? And why would I want to have lunch with him? Right. <laughs> so the discussion of the ads and the scaling. Oh, my gosh. Like those numbers freak me out. Like yeah, same. I have a, I have a pretty healthy risk meter. That's kind of a Dave, Dave Ramsey term. He says, 
in a relationship, usually one person has a, a risk meter and the other one's risk meter is kind of broken and they have trouble understanding each other. And I end up being the one in my relationship with Val that has a risk meter. So um, the idea of, of spending $90,000 a month, I mean, if you got careless and weren't paying attention and kind of goofed up for 10 days, you could have like kind of thrown thrown away $30,000. That's just, it freaks me out. I don't know. What is, what goes on in your mind when you hear those kinds of numbers? I completely, completely agree. The most I've ever spent in a month on ads, probably around 13 grand total. But when I was spending that much, I was getting like a 5X ROI. I knew. Um, but but some people's risk tolerance is just is just higher because I mean the potential is higher the more you spend too. I mean, if you spend 90 grand, you know, what if you 5x that, right? What if you made almost a half a million dollars there back in revenue? You're not gonna do that only spending 13 or or right now I'm probably around nine for my piano course. Um, so I'm right there with you. It scares me, you know, scares me uh, thoroughly and I'm mostly doing Google ads, which is I'm kind of spending as much as I can. Whereas Facebook ads, there's almost no limit to how much you could be spending, which is scary in and of itself. Oh yeah. Who, who has a, who has more of a risk meter between you and your wife, Nikki? She is. So Dave, you, you brought up Dave Ramsey. He always, the other way he puts it, he's like, is he talks about typically in a, in a relationship, there's a nerd and a free spirit, right? Right. One of them is like, makes the budget. And, um, and then the other one wants to just blow through the budget. Right. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the nerd as, as you could probably guess. And she's more of the free spirit. Gotcha. Well, while we're talking about ads, you guys talked about the updates to iOS a little while ago, and then we're just talking about it now, but these changes are going live starting today, which is kind of interesting. And so I saw an article this morning and essentially once this goes live on your, on an, I, on an Apple person's phone, they're going to, the, the next time they open up Facebook, it's going to give them this warning. It says, Facebook would like permission to track you across apps and websites owned by other companies. This allows Facebook to provide you with a better ads experience. And then they try to try to make it this positive thing. They say, this will let you get ads that are more personalized and support businesses that rely on ads to reach customers. And then you just have the two options to stop the tracking or allow the tracking. And the article that I read said that they think 70% of people are going to opt out. I mean... They try to put a positive spin on it, but it makes sense to me. As as you know, as I would expect them to. I think Apple's doing some some really good things here. I, I appreciate that. I think we need more transparency there. Um, I think they're 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 kind of spearheading that type of stuff more more than Google and other companies. Obviously, more than Facebook. So I think that this is a net positive thing. Um, I know I've heard guys like uh, Dan Henry talk about how he likes what Facebook does because as a user, he like if he if he's gonna see an ad, it might as well be an ad that's more relevant to him and not less relevant to him. Which exactly, you know, I'd rather see an ad for outdoor gear than like Depends and Viagra. <laughs> like I like targeted ads. I'll probably stay opted in. I, I prefer to not see any ads. So, you know, I use, <laughs> I use newsfeed eradicator on Facebook. So I don't see the newsfeed. I use a, I use an ad block plugin on, um, on Chrome. Um, I, I, I have very few social media apps on my phone for YouTube. I pay for YouTube premium so that I don't have to see ads. So I try to see as, 
as little ads as possible. And, you know, we don't, we don't have like uh, cable or anything um, as far as TV goes. And so my kids barely know what ads are. Right. And so we, you know, when we watch TV, it's usually Disney plus Netflix or, or the ESPN app, because I'll, I'll watch sports on there. And so if we go to um, like a hotel or something where you just, all you have is the channels and we, we can find like Disney junior and then, you know, seven minutes of the show plays and then it goes to an ad. They're so confused. They think it's like part of the show and they're like, oh, I want that toy. Oh, I want that cereal. It's like they just don't have a lot of experience with ads. So that's one thing that I, I try to not see many, even though I'm kind of in that world, right? I do, I do put ads out there, but I personally don't like to see ads at all. Yeah, but the main takeaway from my perspective, uh, as I've researched and learned about Facebook ads for a long time, everybody says the most effective objective is conversion. So conversion objective, Facebook knows which people uh, are kind of the shopaholics in the world. These people that are just like sitting there with like money in their hands and they're waiting to like spend it on something. And when you choose conversion objective, Facebook is like, here's all those people that are just chomping at the bit to take some action. And if those 70% of people, they say they want to opt out of the tracking, then you don't have as much of an ability to target those people. And then also just the pixel. So again, it's like if somebody goes to Piano in 21 days right now, if you have pixel set up, then over the next few days, they're gonna see some of your advertisements. Do you have a, a pixel set up in that? Yeah, so we do retargeting with with Google ads, like Google display ads. So if you visit the site and then go away and, and don't opt in for the free workbook, then you will see some, some image ads kind of follow you around the internet with Google's partners. You know, if you go to ESPN.com, CNN.com, for example, like you might see my ad only if you've already visited my website. And I even, even though I'm not actively running Facebook ads right now, I do still have the Facebook pixel running on the site just because if at any point I decide to turn Facebook ads back on, I'll have the data already there. Well, we'll see how it plays out for people that are really heavy, heavily dependent on Facebook ads. I'm very I'm very curious to keep monitoring that situation and see how it goes because I know when they first announced it a lot of people were freaking out. So, you discussed a little bit about the survey or just the question that you put in your Facebook group about discussing spending before people make a purchase. Um, how is updating your funnel going and are you adding a question about do people have to talk with their spouse before they make a larger purchase. Have you added that question into uh, your funnel? I should do a better job of taking notes while we talk because I remember that and I remember thinking it was such a great idea and I haven't implemented it and I somewhat forgot about it, to be honest with you. So no, I'm going to write that down right now because that is something I want to implement. Gotcha. Overall, is your funnel updated to the new information and the new course or not really? Yeah, it is. So my funnel, there's there's a lot of marketing that's heavy on the very beginning of the funnel, and then it's a little bit lighter in the middle, and then it's heavier on the end. So so what I've updated is more the beginning and the end because that's where it's like more marketing heavy. So I up, updated my Evergreen webinar. I updated my sales video, sales page, and all that. But some of my pre-launch content, my Evergreen pre-launch content is still the same old stuff. I haven't updated that yet because it's it's not quite as important but I do plan to update it eventually. All right. So my last question just kind of pertains to public versus private group. And uh, we could call we could call that public type of a group more of a lead magnet group in the sense that it's one way for people to give you their email address. 
And you have one set up for the online course guy side of your business where mm-hmm. when people join the online course community, they give you an email and then, you know, then you always have this ability to reach out and contact them. So I guess what is your hesitation about creating that same kind of concept for the piano side of the business? You just keep putting me on the spot today, man. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know. That's something I've I've certainly thought about plenty of times, but I guess my main hesitation is just the way that my evergreen funnel is set up and that it's like so evergreen. And if people that are not members of the course are all in a Facebook group together and they start at, you know, if, if somebody makes a post inside the group, it's like, Hey, when's enrollment going to open next? And one person chimes in, well, it just ended yesterday. And uh, another person says, well, it's opening in three days. And another person says, uh... well, it closed last month. Then that's, <laughs> I don't know how to explain that, right? You see what I'm saying? I do see how you, I do see what you're saying there. And then if you factor in how I do my relaunches, not I mean not, that was just talking about the evergreen part, but if you factor in how I do my relaunches where I relaunch to a quarter of my list each month, then it complicates e- things even further. So, I'm thinking about Nate Dodson. For new listeners, mm-hmm. Nate Dodson, you go back and listen to the first 20 episodes, but very this is now two and a half or three years ago. He created a public microgreens group, and then he has one that's private just for the members of his course. And that public one has probably is probably up to twelve thousand or fourteen thousand members, and he runs on an evergreen system. So it'd be interesting to know if he's had those types of questions at all. I'm looking it up right now. Um, man, he he just he he started early in this microgreens thing because his group is Facebook.com/groups slash microgreens. You know, he got that, he got that address. So it's got 27,000 members wow. in the free group and his banner at the top is just pitching his lead magnet. That's the beginning of his funnel. And you're, you're, you're exactly right. I'm glad you brought this up. Cause it's like, Hey Jacques, this is an example of somebody doing it with a very similar funnel to you. I guess he doesn't have any problems with this. I mean, I'm scrolling through the, the group and people are just sharing microgreen stuff like most of the posts are pictures of people growing their own microgreens and whatnot um and and i'm sure most people want to be there as just it was is a way to find a community of other people into microgreens and they a lot of people probably don't even know who nate dotson is um but he's got that banner at the top advertising the quick start guide for anybody that wants it and i don't i don't think he does a lot of pitches or very salesy inside the group i don't know that he ever does that and so I think the way Nate is doing it is probably probably a way I could be doing it. But I'm pretty sure that he does ask for their email when they join the group. Mm, and then they probably. get started into his funnel and start getting emails from him. Yeah. Or a, a chance to watch the webinar. It's some yeah, it's a it's an interesting point that I would love to ask him about next time I talk to him. All right. Well, that sounds good. All right. So that was uh that I think that was your last takeaway, right, David? Um, the only other note that I had here was it, it was, it was another good lesson on partnerships. I mean, I I'm in general, not a huge fan of partnerships. I think that they, they probably end up, end up poorly, um, more than they do end up, end up going well, but this is an example of it working. We had the guys from the hustle and Flowchart uh, podcast on recently. That's obviously a, a really, really healthy partnership business partnership. So there are examples of it. You know, I don't have any uh, true partnerships in, um, 
in business right now. Like I don't own any companies with other people. Like as far as partnerships goes, this is probably the closest thing I have to that is, is having a co-host here on the podcast with you. And I'd like to think we have a healthy relationship here. Um, but I just wanted to point that out, that this is an example, um, of, of a seemingly good uh, business partnership. Definitely. Yeah. It's fascinating. And I, I would have liked to learn a little bit more about the business structure and how things are set up because I just kind of geek out on that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when everything's going great, then partnerships go great. But yeah, it's awesome. Yep. All right. Well, that is going to do it for yet another episode here of the online course show. The The websites uh, from Kevin and Jason would be journalofwildlifephotography.com. And then of course, ecommerceuncensored.com. So thanks again to them for, for coming on and, and for having me back on their podcast a, a couple months ago. So you can check out their e-commerce uncensored podcast as well. Dr. K, thank you for joining me here for another one. And all you listeners out there, thank you for, for listening to this as well. You can find all the, the links and show notes from today's episode by going to oc.show slash 174. And until next time, get out there and make some next level courses that provide not just information, but transformation to your students. Take care, everyone. 